As we continue following the narrative lectionary, we find ourselves again in the Gospel of Mark. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Before we read and study God's word together, let's pray. Father, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ Jesus our only concern. In your name we pray, amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus goes on to say some more details about what will happen in that day. Um, And we're going to pick up our reading again in verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been driving on a cloudy day when the clouds are thick and gray and the whole world feels kind of held in? But then off to the east, you see light breaking through. Strong beams of sunlight push their way through the clouds, making this kind of spotlight from sky to ground. The sun refuses to stay hidden. When I was little, I used to wonder if days like that meant that Jesus was coming back. I wondered who would get to see him first. I wished I was over there where the light was hitting the ground. I imagined the whole sky opening up and all the bright light of heaven streaming down. And I almost thought I could see Jesus in his white robe coming down through the clouds to meet us. 
I saw angels with their trumpets and harps, and everyone was smiling because we would all get to live forever with him. As I looked at the sunlight, I could imagine the joy and the life that would come when Jesus came again. I thought, this might as well be the perfect time to do it. The setting seemed just right. And I kind of wish that the image that Mark gives us here of what will happen in that day would match mine a little bit more. In verse 26, which we skipped in our reading, it does say, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. But before that, there's a lot of other stuff that happens. And a lot of it's not very nice. In fact, Jesus says stuff that's pretty scary. Our passage this morning takes place just as Jesus is leaving the temple. He had entered the temple in Mark chapter 11. That's the triumphal entry. That's what we'll celebrate next week on Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the colt and people waved their palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. After entering the city, Mark tells us that Jesus went into the temple courts. There he kicked out the money changers, overturned the tables, and spoke out against the chief priests and teachers of the law. The rest of chapters 11 and 12 tell us all about how Jesus defended his authority against the religious teachers who were testing him. Now, as they're leaving, Jesus has really harsh words for the temple. One of the disciples looks up and, said, and admires the architecture. Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. The disciple isn't wrong. The temple was an amazing feat of architecture. Giant white stones stood out against the city and against the, the sky. Gold plates reflected the sun in such a way that Josephus, who was a historian that lived right after Jesus' time, said, they radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from solar rays. On sunny days, the temple was just too bright to look at. It was like the sun. It sounds beautiful and majestic and surely something that the Jews could be proud of. But all the pomp and circumstance surrounding the temple meant nothing, as Jesus said. Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. We aren't off to a very happy start to our passage. And the disciples must have been troubled too, because after they leave the city and are sitting on the Mount of Olives with Jesus, they go back and bring up this conversation again. I imagine them walking away after they heard Jesus' words and maybe feeling a little bit panicked. What kind of force could destroy the temple so completely? How could it be that stones that big would be thrown down? But the disciples believe Jesus. So, as they sit on the mountain, looking back at the temple, gleaming in the sunlight, they think, we'd better get prepared. So they ask Jesus, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? They wonder, what should we be watching for? 
Jesus' answer is less than clear. And more than that, it's downright scary. First, he says what not to watch for. In verse 5, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. The signs will be tricky to spot. And then, even when we do see signs, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, those are just the beginning. Our passage goes on to say that some pretty bad things are coming. Being arrested, put on trial, facing betrayal, family strife, hatred. Verse 19 tells us, Distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. Creation is undone as the sun is darkened and the stars fall from the sky before the Son of Man comes in the clouds. I wonder if after Jesus said these things, after Jesus died and rose again and ascended and the disciples were sharing the gospel, I wonder if they ever looked around for signs like that to happen. I wonder if when they saw wars or heard rumors of wars, when they saw division among their people or when natural disasters took place, if they thought, here it is, the beginning of the end. We do it too sometimes, don't we? When we see bad things happening in our world around us, violent wars that lead thousands of Syrian men, women, and children to flee their homes, an escalation of natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, and hurricanes, corruption in human leadership, and fragmentation among people groups across racial lines and gender lines and political parties. Maybe we wonder, is this the beginning of the end? What are we to make of this terrifying, confusing word from the Lord? What should we expect to happen in that day? What should we be watching for? The key comes to us, I think, in the way that Jesus closes this passage, starting in verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Did you hear how many times in these short few verses Jesus said, watch? Clearly, keeping a watchful eye is important. But what does it mean to keep watch? I've only ever seen a shooting star one time. I've been stargazing plenty of times, and I always think it would be so cool to catch a glimpse of the star shooting across the sky. But when it comes down to it, I am too impatient and too distracted. I've heard that the best way to catch a look at a shooting star is to just pick a spot in the sky and stare right there the whole time. That's boring. (laughs) There are so many stars to look at, and I, I usually end up talking to whoever I'm standing there with, 
and I miss the shooting stars completely. When I hear Jesus say, keep watch, I tend to think he just means sit there, looking at the sky, waiting for him to come back, like looking for a shooting star. And that's kind of what the story makes it sound like, right? The master tells the one at the door to keep watch all the time. He's not even supposed to fall asleep. How could he get anything done? But notice what else the story says. The owner leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. It's not just about sitting around waiting for the master of the house to return. The point is that each person does their assigned task so that the house will be in good order when the master comes back. Watching doesn't mean not doing. The servants were supposed to live in such a way that the master would be pleased when he returned. So, we're watching while we work. Keeping watch while we carry out our tasks is important. But that still leaves us with a question. The same question the disciples had. What will the signs be? What are we watching for? The doorman is instructed to keep watch because he doesn't know when the master of the house will come back. The doorman isn't watching for any other sign than the arrival of his master. If he thought the master was coming back at sunset and spent the whole day watching the sun move its way across the sky, he would miss the point, and he might miss the arrival of his master. Trying to be prepared for the signs can distract us, and it can make us unprepared for what we're actually waiting for. Many of you know that I'm from northwest Iowa. My parents' house is just a little bit, a couple miles south of the Minnesota border. So that makes me a huge Minnesota Twins baseball fan, if I can say that in Tigers territory. The summer after I graduated from high school, my best friend and I took a road trip up to Minneapolis to see the Twins play in the Metrodome. My friend drove, so I was in the role of navigator. And this was before GPS and smartphones were popular, so I map-quested the directions, and we hit the road. The closer we got to the city, we ran into some road construction, and so we had to go off of my carefully planned directions and rely on the road signs to point us where we were supposed to go. More road construction took us farther off the path. We took a wrong turn, and we were lost. We drove around and around looking for signs that would point us back to where we were supposed to be, until finally my friend pulled over so we could kind of regroup. We got out of the car to stretch a little bit, and then we both looked up and started laughing. From where we stood, we could clearly see a corner of the Metrodome peeking out from behind some buildings. We'd been so distracted looking for signs to lead us in the right direction that we didn't see the dome. It was just a couple of blocks away. We would have done well to remember what we were watching for. So, what are we watching for? As we look around, seeing wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes and division. In verse 35, Jesus says, You do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Next week is Palm Sunday, 
when we're beginning Holy Week. As we follow Jesus in his journey to the cross, let's remember that in the evening on which he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread with his disciples. At midnight, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples were too tired to keep watch. He was betrayed and crucified. When the rooster crowed, Peter realized that he had denied Jesus. And at dawn on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If we're distracted, looking for the signs of what's still to come, we'll miss the fact that it's Jesus we're watching for. Jesus who came into this world. Jesus who suffered and died and rose again that we might have new life. Jesus who shows us that God's kingdom is not just something that's coming in the future. It's breaking into this world now. As we watch for Jesus to come again and for the kingdom to come in all its fullness, let's watch with purpose, each with our assigned task and our eyes fixed on Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that you would give us eyes and hearts that seek only after you. Keep us watchful. And as we watch, show us what you would have us do. We pray as we wait in hope for you to come again, when we know that you will make all things new. In your name we pray. Amen.